coming to a close of this particular study we've had over these past several months now. And we've been looking at the ministry of Moses here, and particularly the call of Moses. Uh, And I want to try to finish this up, Lord willing, today. I am somewhat, again, intimidated by all of these ministers here. And I want you to understand that I did my best, again, to... I know our people always wonder why I'm here when others are here. But I, and they intimidate me. There's Cranston. I'm scared this morning. Uh, that's very good. All right. Uh, let me just say this, too, before we, uh, before we begin. We're coming to the beginning of the uh, open session of some, uh, summer school, yeah, Sunday school, uh, where we tend to deal with various special topics of, of your interest. Uh, if you have any ideas, any particular uh, topics that you would like me to address uh, this summer, if you would let me know, uh, I would consider that. Now, we are going to be doing Isaiah. I've already promised someone that I would do a study of Isaiah, but we'll wait and do that the next full term beginning in September. But during the summer months, uh, if there are any particular special topics of concern or questions that you would uh, like me to discuss, I will be happy to at least uh, consider those. So if you let me know today, uh, next week, that would be good. All right, Exodus chapter 3. Can, if I can just give a very quick overview of what we have already uh, addressed here, and then we'll come to look at a new point of consideration. I think you're well aware that what we have in these two chapters represent the call of Moses. Uh, God had chosen this man to be the deliverer, Uh, of the people from the iron furnace of affliction from that terrible place of bondage, having been there in captivity for those hundreds, almost or around certainly 400 uh, some years. Uh, Moses, when he was in Egypt, had sought to deliver the people on his own power, on his own strength. That miserably failed. Uh, And now for some 40 years he's been there in the place of exile. Uh, And the Lord now appears to him at the burning bush. So we have the lessons from the burning bush here in chapters 3 and 4. Now, Moses was greatly intimidated uh, when the Lord put before him the prospect of being the deliverer of these people, of rescuing uh, his people from that place of captivity, that place of bondage. Uh, Moses began... Uh, began to shrink back in fear and concern that, again, he would not be able. He tried this once before, remember, uh, and he was concerned that he was not going to be able uh, to bring them out uh, from this place of captivity, this place of servitude. Uh, And so he begins to offer some excuses. Some are legitimate excuses. Some are not so legitimate. Uh, But every uh, question and every point of reservation that Moses had, the Lord had an answer for him uh, to ensure him and to give him the confidence that this indeed was the will of God. So I think I have one, two, three, four, or five. I've got five propositions uh, that I want us to see from this. I think we are going to begin today number three, but let me just quickly uh, state the first two propositions that we've already, uh, that we've already considered. The first proposition was this, that the divine presence is the answer to our inadequacy. Moses, when he received the call from God, uh, said, who am I? Uh, I can't do this. I don't have the wherewithal. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the talents. I don't have the courage. 
uh, to do this. And the Lord's basic answer to Moses' sense of inadequacy was not to worry, I will be with you. And the Lord gave him that wonderful Emmanuel promise. Uh, I will be with you no matter what you do, I will be with you. Uh, and he gave them token, and he gave them a sign of that continuing presence. And a great uh, lesson for us, uh, that we have that Emmanuel promise, uh, that God will not leave us, that he will not forsake us. Uh, and the divine presence, if we can keep this in mind, the divine presence is always the answer to our own personal inadequacy. The second uh, proposition is that the divine revelation is the answer to our ignorance. Divine revelation is the answer to our ignorance. Uh, this was the next thing that Moses considered, uh, having the assurance of God's presence, but now he begins to wonder, uh, when I get down there, what am I going to say to these people? I don't have a word for these people. I don't know what, uh, what I'm going to have to deal with. I don't know what questions they are going to ask me. Uh, I know they're going to want to know who sent me. What do I say? And again, the Lord says not to worry. Uh, I'm going to tell you what to say. You simply tell them, I am, uh, that I am, that I am has sent you. And that was the point of our consideration last Lord's Day. Uh, we considered that beautiful statement uh, at verse number 14, where we have as close as we have anywhere uh, in the Word of God to God's own definition of that covenant name. We know Him as Jehovah. Uh, we know him as that covenant God, that God that reveals himself to his people to save his people, uh, to deliver his people, always faithful uh, to that covenant promise. Uh, but that term Jehovah, I say, is defined for us as close as we have anywhere in the scripture to being defined uh, in this statement, I am, I am. And what a beautiful uh, and pregnant statement that is. It's full of theological significance. It's full of the hope that God has uh, before his people. It declares the absolute independence of God, uh, the fact that God is the only independent one. He is unaffected. He is uninfluenced by anything outside of himself. Uh, that one that is eternal, uh, self-existent, absolutely sovereign, all of that is implied uh, in the term certainly. But it is that name of God that he reveals specifically to his people we often speak of this as the covenant name of God. That name that is so inseparably linked to the covenant promises that he gives to his people. That he will be their savior. That he will be loyal to them. Uh, that he will do for them whatever uh, they need for him to do. And that is, I think, the great beauty of this statement here. Uh, there is a sense, and I was focusing upon this last uh, last Lord's Day, there is a sense in which every name or title that God uh, reveals of himself limits our understanding of who he is. Uh, God is infinite. He is infinite. That itself boggles our mind. Uh, we can't begin to comprehend what infinity means. How can we understand God? So God in his grace and God in his mercy reveals himself to us in ways that we can understand. But knowing that we are finite, even in these revelations, he, uh, he draws our attention and limits our attention to this or that aspect of that infinite being. Uh, I saw Sandra's note. She said, do you want to see what the last thing you said was last week? And I said, certainly, Sandra's my secretary. Uh, and she takes wonderful notes. If she would listen to me at home, if she listens to me here, life would be good in every conceivable way. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, the last thing that I was looking at 
was in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 3. Uh, let's, let's turn there because this is uh, really quite uh, a remarkable statement, but it illustrates what I want to say here. Uh, I appeared unto Abraham, pick it up at verse 2 there, and God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am Jehovah, I am the Lord. Remember how it's spelled here when you see the Lord in all capital letters. Uh, that's Jehovah. This is that covenant name that we're looking at. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, by the name of El Shaddai. That's El Shaddai. That is the name of God, the title of God, that particularly is linked uh, to God's ability to keep the promises that He has made. Uh, he is the God who is sufficient. He is the God that is able to provide, that is able to nourish, that is able to, uh, because of His power and His ability, He is the sufficient one to meet and to fulfill the promise. Now, what was the particular need uh, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had? God had given remarkable promises. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make uh, your seed like the sands of the sea. Uh, you're going to have this expansive territory. This is my promise to you. Uh, but yet you look at the life of Abraham. Uh, that, that promise seemed to be far, far uh, out of reach, uh, even in terms of the seed. Uh, we'll just take that as the example. Uh, Abraham is getting older by the day, and Sarah is too, and yet there is no seed of promise. Uh, but the Lord says not to worry. I'm El Shaddai. Even though it appears from every human perspective that this is going to be impossible, not to worry. I have the ability and I have uh, the wherewithal to meet and to fulfill every one of the promises that I have given to you. So El Shaddai is that name of God that is particularly suited uh, to this patriarchal period. Uh, where the emphasis was upon the fulfillment of those great and mighty promises. All right, so I was known unto them by God Almighty, by El Shaddai. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Now be careful here. Did Abraham know the name Jehovah? Well, of course he did. Did he ever refer to God as Jehovah? Of course he did. And God referred to himself and identified himself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as Jehovah. Uh, so it's not saying here, the word no here is not implying uh, that they were ignorant of that name. Uh, and we don't want to think for a moment, please. And I'm not going to get into all of the critical aspects of here, but uh, this is one text where the, uh, where the apostates like to come and prove that the Bible was written by who knows who and whatever else. And I'm not going to get into all of that stuff. Uh, but we have to understand what the word no here. It's not simply talking about an intellectual awareness or a comprehension, uh, but it is emphasizing that experiential uh, focus. Uh, and this is what the Lord is saying. They were experiencing me principally as El Shaddai. That was the focus of my revelation to them that was so important to their life of faith. Uh, and, and they were not experiencing in this unlimited sense, as it were, of Jehovah. Oh, they knew the name. Uh, and they understood that name, uh, but this was the focus. All right, now put that back then to what uh, I, I want us to see here. You tell them that I am, I am. Uh, here is a, a statement of the infinity of God. You don't know what you're going to need me to be. 
All right, and, and, and I said last week that this is somewhat like a blank check that God is giving the people. Uh, the name of God limits our understanding, but I don't want you going in there with any limited understanding of me. Uh, I, I will be whatever you need me to be. If you come to the place where you people need me to be El Shaddai, I'll be El Shaddai. If you come to the place and you need me to be El Elyon, the Most High God, I will be that. Uh, if it's the God of eternity, I'll be that. If it's this, if it's that, I will be what I am. Uh, and I will show myself to you in that covenant faithfulness. Uh, what a wonderful word of revelation. Uh, so how, what's the word? What, what is the answer to our ignorance then? Uh, as we face and seek to do the call of God and fulfill the ministry that God has given for us to do. Uh, it is that we know the Lord. All right. The Lord is simply saying to Moses, know me. And you just tell the people you look to me. All right. You look to me and you declare to them uh, that I am this personal God uh, that is infinite, that has all power, that has all faithfulness, that has everything that they are going to need uh, in order uh, to supply their needs and to deliver them by grace. Uh, from that furnace of affliction. So what a wonderful word that is. I'm just really touching the surface of all of the implications. Uh, but uh, when you see in your scriptures, when you see in your scriptures that word Lord in all capitals, just stop and pause and remember what God is saying here. Uh, I, I've said to you a hundred times over the years uh, that God does not use these names. The names of God, the titles of God are not occurring uh, in any haphazard way in the scripture. They are always part of the divine revelation. So we stop and we pause and we reflect. What is that name of God, that title of God, contributing to this revelation? Uh, and every time you see Lord spelled that way, uh, your heart needs to go to that covenant revelation, to the covenant faithfulness, to God's saving of His people, uh, to His infinity, uh, infinity, to His absolute independence. All of that is just jammed in uh, to that uh, wonderful revelation. Now, uh, the Lord here is speaking and he says, I am the term Jehovah. If we get into all of the little linguistic aspects of it that I'm not going to do. Uh, if I had to translate that, it would be he is. All right. Uh, the why on the beginning of that is one way that in Hebrew we indicate third person, he. So Jehovah, if I translate it, is he is. Uh, whereas the Lord here says, I am. But this becomes, and I think you can see uh, why that and how that uh, develops. So that's my second proposition. Uh, that divine revelation is the answer to our ignorance. All right, the third proposition. Divine responsibility is the answer to our incredibility. Divine responsibility is the answer to our incredibility. All right, look at chapter 4 now. Here's the excuse uh, that Moses now uh, reasons uh, before the Lord. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and became a serpent. Moses fled from before it. And you know the story. Then he puts the hand into his bosom. It turns to leprosy and whatever else. All right, but let's look at the excuse first of all. All right, here is the excuse. They're not going to believe me. All right, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them God has sent me. I'm going to give them this word that you have told me to give. I am what a wonderful word that is. But they're not going to believe me. And Moses begins here. Right, he begins to play this what-if game. And this is always 
uh, this is always our natural response, isn't it? Uh, when we have the word of the Lord before us, when the Lord calls us to, we feel that the Lord is calling us to this ministry or we have this particular uh, responsibility placed before us, uh, in, in our rationalism, uh, in, in our lack of faith, we often begin to play this what-if game. You say, well, what if this, you say. I'm going to get there, and, and what if this happens? Uh, and and I, I may be there, and this, what, what, what am I going to do if this happens? Well, Moses now begins to play this little mind game. I'm going to get there, I'm going to obey you, I'm going to be there facing Pharaoh and facing these people, uh, but what's going to happen uh, if they don't believe me? Uh, and Moses here is not a, a model of uh, faith and trust uh, at this point, but I, I think we all can... Uh, relate to him very well. All right. I think we've all played this little game uh, how many times before the Lord? Uh, whether it's, I say, in answering the call to a particular ministry or even in uh, seeking to obey what we know to be the very clear will of God. Uh, we start to speculate uh, as to what is going to happen. What will be the response? What if they react this way? What if they react that way? What am I going to do? Uh, and Moses here was concerned about what? All right, can you see this? And I don't think this is without significance here. Uh, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. Uh, and his attention was upon himself. How are they going to respond to me? His concern here at this point, at least in this statement, was not, what are they going to think of you? Uh, they're not going to believe your word. No, he was concerned here about how they were going to respond to him. His own reputation. Uh, what are they going to think of me? Uh, and haunted by the possibility. And I, and I think Moses here was haunted by the possibility of personal failure. Uh, and uh, that, that's a troubling thing. A personal rejection. Uh, how, how could I face such disappointment? And I tried this once before and it didn't work. And what if I go down there again and fail? You see, uh, nobody likes to fail. Uh, nobody likes to be rejected uh, by those that they minister to. Uh, and, and here's this real fear. All right, here's this real fear, haunted, I say, by that possibility uh, that they're not going to like me, they're not going to believe me, uh, they're, they're going to reject my ministry. Oh, poor me, what am I going to do if they don't like me, uh, if they don't believe me? All this what if, what uh, are they going to think? Uh, but the focus, and I say, is upon himself. Uh, all the way through here, uh, in this excuse, it's upon himself. It's as though he saw himself to be the message. Uh, when in reality, uh, it was indeed uh, the message of the Lord. All right, that's the excuse. They're not going to believe me. Now, what was the Lord's answer? I say in the proposition that it's divine responsibility. All right, the divine responsibility is the answer to our incredibility. Moses was afraid that, that he was going uh, not, not, not to be credible to these people. Moses uh, was to learn that he was not to worry because God's answer to him very simply was, hey, I'm in control, you see. I'm in control. The results, and this, if you look at the, the message and the testimony of the Word of God in Old and New Testament, particularly as we come to these prophetic calls, uh, the Lord makes it clear to these people over and over again that, the, uh, that how people respond, how people respond to the message is not the responsibility of the minister. Uh, how they respond is not the responsibility of the one who gives the gospel. 
it is for us to be faithful. It, is, it was for Moses, like every other prophet, simply to proclaim, Thus saith the Lord. Uh, you, you look at uh, the call of Jeremiah, uh, and the Lord tells Jeremiah up front that these people are not going to respond. Uh, he tells Jeremiah up front that they are going to be like brazen walls before them. Uh, before him, and he says not to worry. I'm going to be with you. You just tell, say what I tell you to say. Same thing for Ezekiel. Uh, God calls Ezekiel to that prophetic ministry, and he tells him, I'm going to throw you right in the middle of the scorpions and the thorns and the thistles, uh, and they are not going to believe what you say, but nonetheless you simply preach, thus saith the Lord, not to worry about the results. The results and how people respond to the message is outside the hands uh, of the one that ministers. Why Paul says the gospel, the same gospel, the very same gospel uh, becomes a savor of life unto life uh, and a savor of death unto death. Now, what's the difference? Uh, the way we present it? No. Uh, it is in the hand of God. How people respond to the word of God is outside the, uh, the jurisdiction. Uh, and outside the power and the ability of the one that gives the word. It is for you, Moses, to simply give the word and to understand that I am in control. The results uh, are in my hands. So how does he show this? Uh, how does he show this? Uh, he, he demonstrates here with a series of signs. All right, a series of signs. And I'm not going to go through all the, uh, the, the details here. We've talked about... Uh, these signs before, back in chapter 3, remember there were two aspects of the sign. Uh, a sign was either going to be a, uh, a, a supernatural, a miraculous uh, uh, demonstration as a present persuader uh, of truth, or it could be used as a future uh, confirmation, a divine I told you so. Remember what we saw back in chapter 3? Uh, just to... Uh, remind ourselves here in, in, in verse 12, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token or a sign unto thee that I have sent thee. Uh, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. The Lord told Moses, you're going to go down there, you're going to bring the people out, you're going to come back and worship me right here, and when you come back and worship me right here, this is the sign that I have been with you, that I brought you out. It's the divine I told you so. All right, so there is a sense in which a sign is the divine I told you so after the fact. After the fact. And Moses had to, uh, by faith, risk it all. Uh, and the Lord would then demonstrate after the risking of the faith uh, that this indeed was the word and the will of God. That's one sense of the sign. But there's another sense in which it becomes and is used as a present persuader. Uh, that the Lord graciously gave to his people, or gave to whomever, uh, to convince them of the truth uh, in the immediate context and to create then the proper response. So here are these uh, three signs, all right, three signs that we're going to see here that the Lord uh, gave to Moses to demonstrate very graphically and very vividly that he was in control. Number one, uh, what's that in your hand? Well, it's a rod. It's a rod, just a rod. Uh, nothing special. Uh, Moses has been carrying this rod or one like it for some 40 years as he was horsing with those sheep. Uh, horsing with the sheep. Uh, is that, that, there's a mixed imagery there. Uh, right? He was horsing with the sheep uh, there for those 40 years. 
uh, in, in the desert. I don't know if the same rod, but it was just an ordinary rod that he was using. What's that in your hand? Nothing ordinary. Uh, nothing ordinary. Uh, just a rod. Well, see what that rod can be when God uh, intervenes. Throw that rod down on the ground. Uh, and he obeyed the Lord and uh, turned into a serpent. Well, that's, that's something unusual. All right, that's something unusual. Uh, a demonstration of God's power, of God's intervention. All right. Uh, now then, uh, now then, I want you to uh, pick that serpent up by its tail. Uh, right. Uh, I, I think that probably is the greatest act of faith uh, in Moses all the way through here. Uh, I, I don't like snakes. All right. I don't like snakes. You might like snakes if you're weird. You like snakes. Uh, don't don't like snakes. I was hunting last year, and I was I was coming up this trail uh, after dark, and I just had this little bitty flashlight. I just had this little bitty flashlight. It was dark, uh, and I, I, the beam is only going about from here to that wall, right? So not very far. And and right in the middle of this path was a copperhead. All right, it was a copperhead, and this copperhead uh, was, as I recall. Uh, went from that wall to that wall. Right? It was, and it, it stopped me short. All right, it stopped me short, and I was wishing that I had, you know, a bigger beam so that it was way out there. But I'm this close, and it's right in the path. And what am I? How am I going to cross that? So I stood there for I don't know how long. Uh, I wasn't going to cross that. I don't like snakes. I don't like snakes. So I, I, I stepped back and I found a little rock. I, I, I was. I said, well, if I didn't you shoot it? Well, I it was. Muzzle loader, and I just had you know, one bullet. You know, I didn't want to <laughs> take a chance. Uh, so I, I, I picked up a rock and I threw this rock at this snake, and I missed. All right, I missed, uh, and there it was. And so I picked up another rock and I threw it, and this time I just grazed its head, and this thing took off right at me. Those things are fast, aren't they? You ever those things are fast. Uh, but it went by me, and I was so happy, and I kind of hurried my way. Uh, okay. I don't like snakes, all right? I don't like snakes. And I don't know if, if Moses had a lick of sense, all right? If Moses had a lick of sense, he didn't like snakes either. Uh, and I don't know what kind of snake this was, uh, but there's no good snake, all right, as far as I'm concerned. Pick this thing up by its tail. And, and you know, you're supposed to pick him up by the head, I guess, if you have courage, but to pick it up by the tail. Act of faith. But he does it. All right? He picks that thing up by the tail and it becomes the rod again. Uh, what, what a sign that was. I'm in control. This doesn't happen naturally. All right? This kind of stuff with a rod doesn't happen naturally. Uh, not to worry. Uh, I, I'm in control here. And how they respond, therefore, is not your business. You see, how Pharaoh responds is not your business. What the people think of you is not your business. You simply get out there and you give the word, as I tell you, and leave the results to me. I'm in control. I've got the power here. And, and that's a very, uh, you know, on the one hand, that's a comforting word uh, for the man of God, for the minister. Uh, and, and it's a very humbling word. It's a very humbling word because in our, uh, in, in our stupidity, all right, and, and I speak here as a minister, and I think these guys who are here can, uh, you know, in, in the heart of hearts, at, at least understand what I'm saying. You know, there, there is that. If, if, if we preach, if we minister, and we see these, 
uh, we, we see the great results, yeah, and people respond and people are coming weeping and say, oh, preacher, that's the best. Oh. Well, there's something down deep. That, oh, I had it today. You know, I, I know it all. And, but if we're, what, what happens when we preach and people get out there and they sleep, right? And they sleep and I see this stuff out there. And I see stuff that goes on. And you're going like this and, you know, and, uh, and I, I see when Kearns preaches, right? That's what I'm saying. Uh, you, you, you do, and you, you see that stuff. Uh, and, and nobody, and nothing happens, right? Well, then you start beating yourself up, all right? What's happening? You beat yourself up. Uh, what, what are you, didn't pray? Well, hey. Listen, uh, we, we have to understand that if we preach and the rest of the world is converted at that sermon, we had nothing to do with it. It's the Spirit of God. You see, the gospel uh, is the savor of life unto life. It's not the minister. And at the same time, if people reject and people ridicule and people do not respond as I'd like to see them respond. Uh, I ought to be grieved and I ought to be concerned, but understand it's not my fault, you see. It's in the hand of God. Uh, and this is what the Lord was teaching Moses here. Uh, this is my business. This is my business. You can't, do any, you can't do anything with that rod, but when that rod is in my hand, look what I can do with it. Well, then the leprosy. Stick your hand inside your shirt. Uh, and stuck his hand inside of his shirt. This is my translation of this. Uh, but, but that, you understand. Uh, stick your hand in there and you pull it and it's, and, and it's leprous. Uh, that, that had to be a, a scary thing. All right. That'd be a scary thing, uh, but not to worry. Stick it back in there, and he did it. It's all healed. All right. There's the evidence. Uh, there's the evidence of the power in God's word. Look what happened just by obeying the word of God. See? Uh, in its lepers, in again, it's clean. Uh, it's all in the power of God's word. And, and then you come to the uh, come to the blood thing there with the river. Look at uh, uh, look at verse nine shall come to pass if they will not believe. Also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood uh, upon the dry land. Uh, well, there's uh, another sign. Uh, take, take water. From, when you get down there, you take some water from the Nile. Uh, and let me show you what I'll do with that. Turn it to blood. Uh, well, the, the Nile was symbolic here of Egypt's power. Uh, Egypt was nothing apart from the Nile. Uh, the whole government, the whole agriculture, the whole society, the whole nation uh, evolved, uh, evolved, yes, and then revolved uh, around that Nile. This was the center of their life and of their power, and they worshipped and all the stuff. But you, I'll show you who has the power then over Egypt, you see. And this became just a little graphic sign of who has the power over Egypt. So the Lord gave to Moses that assurance uh, that everything was in his hand. Uh, you just leave the results to me. All you have to do is obey what I say. Uh, you say what I say, and you leave the results uh, to the hand of God. Fear of failure is no excuse. All right? Fear of failure is no excuse for not doing what is the will of God. Uh, the divine responsibility uh, is the answer. It is the answer uh, to... Uh, this incredibility. All right, uh, time is running by me here. Uh, fourth proposition I want to make here. Divine sovereignty is the answer to our inabilities. Divine sovereignty is the answer to our inabilities. All right, next excuse. Next excuse, verse 10. 
Uh, and, and you can see the Lord demonstrates time after time, no matter, no, no matter what His excuse was, God had an answer for it. Uh, you, you would think that Moses would begin to get the picture. Uh, but here's the great signs, but now here's the next excuse. Verse 10, Moses said unto the Lord, uh, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither hitherto,fore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I'm slow of speech. I'm not eloquent. Heavy of mouth, he says. I'm heavy of mouth. I'm heavy of tongue. Uh, I, I have trouble gathering my thoughts together. I have trouble collecting my words that would... Uh, be able to convince these people. I'm not a convincer. I'm not a. I'm not a speaker. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not a debater here. Uh, I, I don't. I don't have the necessary gifts. You see. But put it in New Testament terms, right? Most, I don't. I don't have the gifts uh, to, to do what you're calling me to do. Uh, this. This is going to require standing up in public. See, I can't. I can't give a speech in public. I can't speak to people. Uh, I, I'm scared to go into Pharaoh and say this stuff to Pharaoh. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the talents. I don't have the abilities. I can't do this. I'm shy. I'm not a good communicator. Uh, I, I, I've got it in my head. Yeah, I, I know what should be said. But, uh, I, I can't do this. I just don't have the ability to do. And how many times do God's people uh, echo Moses' excuse here? Uh, and, and I'm not just talking about the call to the ministry, but whatever it is that we have in our sphere of service in the church of Jesus Christ. I can't do it. I'm shy. I can't go on visitation. You know what? What if, you know, got these bags right that we're passing out, and we. But you know, what if somebody's actually home when I go up there and I have to speak to them? I, I can't do that. You see, I don't know what to say. I, I, and we just feel so inadequate. All right, we feel so inadequate, unable, incapable uh, of doing what the word of the Lord is. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the talent. You see, uh, and, and notwithstanding, right? Not notwithstanding uh, what the New Testament says concerning the gifts that the Spirit of God gives to everyone in the church. Uh, somehow we feel that we were missed, right? We were missed, and we don't have that gift. Uh, what what can I do? What can I do in the service of this church? What can I do in the service of the? I don't have the gifts, and so we sit back and we just, uh, you know, play these games and. You know, and it, I don't want to start going off on that, but you know, I get sick and tired of this whole. What, there's a great misunderstanding on spiritual gifts, right? And we've got people taking tests uh, to evaluate what the spiritual gift is, and mm, 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 all of this utter and total nonsense. And if you've taken the test and think you know, well, I'm sorry if I offended you. Uh, it's, it's nonsense. Right? It's nonsense. I don't have to take a test to find out what my spiritual gift is. All right, uh, I'm going to leave that right there because. But you, you know what I'm saying. You sit there. I, I don't have the gifts. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the wherewithal. And so you sit back and you watch everybody else do. And you want to do it, but I can't. See, this is Moses. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the abilities. Can't do it. Can't do it. All right, what's God's answer? 
say divine sovereignty is the answer to our inabilities. And God's basic answer to Moses was, hey, you telling me something I don't know? Uh, who, who made your mouth? I made your mouth. You're not liking your mouth. But God says, I made your mouth. I made you. I'm sovereign. I made you exactly as I wanted you to be. I, 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 you think I made a mistake here uh, in, in revealing myself to you and calling you? I made you. I know everything about you. You are what I made you to be. Trust that. Trust that. God has made us as He desires to make us. Uh, he'll not call us then to do something that He will not enable us to do. Uh, all that we are is the gift of God. We're all different. And, and, and I've touched on this point with you before. You know, we're, we're all different. Uh, we all have our gifts. We all have our abilities. Uh, but God made us the way He wants to make us. Uh, do we trust in the wisdom of God? Uh, it's not that I cannot look at others and appreciate uh, the gift of God in others. And I ought to be able to do that. Right? All of creation uh, is the evidence of God's wisdom. Uh, and I've said this before, God made you and God made me. And when God made me, He did a good job. Right? And when God made you, He did a good job. He, did, he made you and He made me exactly as He wanted me to be, exactly as He wanted you to be. You're different than me. And I'm different than you. And that's okay. We're not all the same. And we are not all going to be doing exactly the same thing in the same sphere of ministry. Uh, I, I look at these men here and, uh, you know, and, 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 I, and I stand back in, in great admiration. Uh, some of these pioneers that have gone out and stuff. Look at that. There ain't no way in the world. And I'm using the ain't for effect there. I don't normally talk that way. Right. But I have Canadians here. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't do that. Yeah. I couldn't do that. I don't have the, I, I don't have the personality. I, but God's not called me to do that. Right? He's not called me to do that. Uh, and I can admire those gifts and I can admire those abilities. And, and that's good. And, but I'm not them. And, and, and I look at the way some of them preach, right? And I says, man, I, that's the, I wish I did preach. That's not me. See? And I can't sit around beating myself up that I'm not Kearns or I'm not McClellan or I'm, you see, uh, I, I would love to be, right? That would be nice, right? I guess, I guess. It would be nice. Uh, but I'm not, all right? Uh, and, and they're not me. I have to rest in the wisdom of God in making me, me, uh, and giving me the abilities and the talents uh, that. Uh, that He has given me. And to use those, uh, realizing that God has given me. People, you know, people sometimes say that I'm, and this, this boggles my mind, uh, that I get a bit caustic sometimes, singing around Kearns. That's where I got that, I suppose. Uh, and, I, 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 well, that they, they sometimes think that, uh, that I, and this is hard for me to say because it's so untrue, uh, it expressed a degree of arrogance, right? I'm not. No, 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 no. You have to understand there is a great difference between arrogance and confidence, right? That's the difference, and they don't understand it. Uh, 
I, I, I know what God's, I know what my gifts are. All right? I, I know what my gifts are. I know the abilities that God has given me and the sphere of ministry that God, uh, He made me. All right? And He made you. And I can do something that you can't do and you can do something that I can't do. We can all do stuff that God has given us to do within the sphere of the ministry uh, that, that we have. Uh, but it's a very complex thing, this ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and it requires, it requires us all. It requires us all. Let us rest in the wisdom of God and the sovereignty of God that has made us what we are. Uh, and by faith, by faith, realize, realize that as we submit uh, then to who we are and what God has given to us and how God has made us, uh, that we can accomplish the work uh, that he has. Of course, I made your mouth not to worry. All right, not to worry. I'm not going to call you and make you do something that you are not capable of doing. Uh, quit beating yourself up here. Don't use this as an excuse. Uh, you simply submit to the wisdom of God. Don't fret what to say. The Lord's going to teach us uh, what we are going to say and what we're going to do. Well, very quickly, I'll give you this last proposition. Divine displeasure is the answer to our insubordination. All right? Divine displeasure is the answer to our insubordination. After all of this, and this kind of just boggled the mind, after all of this, the evidence after evidence after evidence that God has given to Moses, verse 13, O oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. I've seen it, yeah, but still, come on. There's got to be somebody else. All right, Somebody else can do this. Send somebody else. More qualified, more gifted. Yeah, I've heard what you've said. I've seen what you've done. But send somebody else. Well, how did God answer that? Well, God was displeased. And He gave him Aaron. God still used Moses. Not even Moses' insubordination here. And faithlessness here. was going to frustrate God's purpose. God had a purpose to accomplish for His people through Moses and not even Moses' disobedience and faithlessness here was going to frustrate that purpose. But He also gave him Aaron. Now Aaron could speak well. Well enough to stand before Pharaoh. The Lord set the order here. I don't have time to develop all of this. But uh, the Lord gave him Aaron to be his mouthpiece. To be a spokesman. He could speak well. And how well could Aaron speak? Well, he spoke well enough to get the golden calf going. See? Look what was down the road. Or look what was down the road. Because of Moses' rebellion here. Even in the call that God was giving to him, a rebellion against the will of God for him and the trust in the power of God... And, and I wonder how many times that Moses came to regret, uh, came to regret uh, uh, this particular episode. And here's Aaron, and now he's up there, and Aaron fails in his responsibility, and got the whole golden calf incident. Well, uh, some things to learn from Moses in his call. But let's learn that there's a place for us all. There's a God that enables us and equips us all. Uh, to do whatever it is that our particular point of the ministry is. Well, my time has passed gone, and Paul's got to preach this morning. So let's close in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we 
uh, do give thanks for the Word. We're thankful for the instruction that is here. We pray that this survey of uh, this book of Exodus will teach us lessons that will uh, increase our hope and our confidence and our faith in the Lord. Uh, Let us rest, Lord, in the awareness that we are what we are by your purpose and by your design and by your grace. We have the gifts and the abilities uh, to fulfill the call that you have given to each one. Lord, help us all to be faithful uh, in our performance of our duty, whatever it is. We ask in Jesus' name.